week, we went through verses 1 through 26 of Psalm 37. So we're going to complete that psalm this week. And then we're going to go for four more weeks in the psalms, and we're going to complete through Psalm 41. And if you have your Bibles, you'll notice at the end of Psalm 41, there's a big title in your Bible, and it should say, Book 2, Psalms 42 through 72. And so next summer, we'll begin on Book 2 of the Psalms, okay? So anyway, we are in Psalm 37, and let me summarize for those of you who were not here last week. Uh, what's going on. In Psalm 37, when David writes this psalm, he's an old man. He's lived a long life, and he has accumulated wisdom over the lifetime. And now he writes down this wisdom for his people, and he's giving them basically life lessons, lessons that he learned throughout his entire life. And he includes what we call eight or nine precepts, or rules. Uh, there's a woman's Bible study called Precept Upon Precept. You've heard of that? And that simply is taking the rules of biblical interpretation, precepts, and applying them to the biblical text so that you can understand or interpret the Bible. And so what David does is he gives us precepts or rules for life. And that's the important thing. Okay? Now, I'm going to give you the six precepts, or seven precepts, I guess, six precepts that we went over last week. Okay? These are rules for living. Now look at rule number one. It's found in verse one. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of workers of iniquity. In other words, stop complaining about these evildoers who are getting ahead in life. And don't be envious of what they've got. Okay? That's rule number one. If you do that, you can get along pretty well in your life, and you'll have a happier life, okay? Precept number two is found in verse three. Trust in the Lord and do good. Have faith in the Lord, depend upon the Lord, rely upon the Lord, and a lot of people do that, but they don't do the other part of the rule, which is do good. It's not enough just to say trust, it's trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So we are to do good. In what way? The way the Lord wants us to do good. And he talks about that goodness as including being merciful to the people who are helpless, give generously to people, as Don was talking about in our class, and mainly to people who uh, cannot fend for themselves. Okay, rule number three. Precept number three is found in verse four. Delight yourself in the Lord. In other words, derive your joy from the relationship you have with the Lord. If you try to derive your relationship based on the things that you own, 98% of the world will have no joy because 98% of the world has nothing. I'm going to give you my own rule regarding Christianity. You know that a principle is true when it has universal application. Listen to that again. You know a principle is true and valid when it has universal application. If the principle will only work in the United States of America, it's not valid. 
If you think God is here to make you rich and bless you financially, then guess what? And you think that's what Christianity is? Then you've got a problem with the Christians that are living in the Sudan right now, don't you? Doesn't work. <laughs> that philosophy doesn't work. So a principle to be valid has to have universal application. And here's a universal rule. Find your delight in the Lord. Can you do that in Sudan? Can you do that in the prison cell? Find your delight in the Lord? You don't have any freedom. You can't. You say, boy, if I were only out of here, I'd be happy. No, guess what? You're out of there, you'd be as miserable as you were when you're inside. So you find your delight in the Lord. That's principle number four. Okay? Rule number five, found in verse seven. Or verse, uh, rule number four, rather, found in verse five. Commit your ways to the Lord. Put your life in His hands, in other words. Commit your ways to the Lord. If you have plans, you want to do a certain thing, commit it to the Lord. That's how you know whether your plans are valid or not. Lord, I'm going to cheat my next door neighbor. I commit that to you, Lord. And you can't commit that to the Lord. Can you? you can only commit honest things to the Lord. So, commit your ways to the Lord and trust also in Him. Notice the two things. Commit, that's what you do. Trust. You rely on Him to bring it to pass. Okay? Next rule, precept number 5, found in verse 7. Rest in the Lord. Rest in the Lord. In other words, having done all, just go... Rest and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way. So again, notice that he's talking about stop complaining and fretting about people who are wicked that are prospering. Don't you worry about them. All you need to do is rest and look. Keep your mouth shut about those kinds of people. Let God handle your enemies. Okay? Rule number six, found in verse eight. Cease from anger. And you put it in modern language, it means stop getting upset. And forsake wrath. Which means they were being very wrathful. He's telling them to stop being wrathful. Stop taking matters into your own hands. Do not fret. It only causes harm. When you're griping and complaining and worrying and looking at your neighbor and seeing what they have and say, it's not fair, why do they have it all? We, I have nothing, and I'm a godly person, I trust in the Lord. Guess what? You're trusting in the Lord, but you're griping. So what does it say in verse 8? All that does is cause harm. Now remember the context of these rules. We're going to have eight or nine rules that we're going to look at. Those are the ones we looked at last week. The context of the rules is that there are wicked people in David's city of Jerusalem and uh, probably Jewish people who professed God but they're not living like it. They're wicked people. They're evil people. And these evil people are prospering. And they don't like the righteous people. They're plotting against the righteous people. They're trying to keep the righteous people down. They're persecuting them. And then as a result... The godly people look around them and they see all these wicked people prospering. They say, that ain't fair. Why is God blessing them, but he's not blessing me? 
we need to do something about that. <laughs> and when you do that, you get yourself into trouble. That causes harm. And David says, no, you don't need to do anything. You let God do something about that. You do what you're called to do. What are you called to do? The six things that we just talked about. So that's six rules or six precepts. Now, you ready for precept number seven? We don't find that until verse 27. Look at verse 27. That's where we pick up today. Here it is. Rule number seven. Depart from evil. Which implies what? That they're having a tendency of doing evil. And do good. Show mercy. Give. Stand for the oppressed. Now notice the instructions are twofold. Number one, depart from evil. That means don't follow your urges to take matters into your own hands. We have this tendency of uh, uh, wanting to return evil for evil. So he says don't do evil. The wicked people are doing evil, and guess what you want to do? You want to walk out into the parking lot because this guy's cut you off and given you a gesture and cussed you out, and you've seen where he's parked. And he's done something evil. And he's in this Rolls Royce. Looks like he's being blessed. So you pull out your key, and you park your car, and you walk right up to that Rolls Royce, and you key that car, and you walk away. See, that's what you want to do. And that's what they were doing. So he says to the godly people, let God take care of them. Don't you return evil for evil, but do good. See? So, it's twofold instruction. Depart from evil and do good. Now, it's not enough to be neutral. A lot of us say, ah, you know, he did that. I don't know, it doesn't bother me. You know, Just being neutral. Not being neutral, it's being good. <laughs> it's not just not reacting, it's actually reacting in a positive way. Now what did Jesus say we are to do when uh, people do bad things toward us? He say, you're to love your enemies? Well, that sounds a little strange. Did he say to be good to those who despitefully use you? Didn't he say if you did that, you'd be heaping coals on the heads of the bad people? So, there's this twofold thing. It's depart from evil, which means they had a tendency of returning evil for evil, and instead doing good. Showing the people mercy, being kind to them, and uh, just the opposite. So, that is rule number seven. Now look at the end of verse 27. Depart from evil, do good, and dwell forevermore. That's the result. If you do what God says you are to do, then you live. Now, throughout this whole psalm, we know last week that the bad people are cut off. They die. And they're going to be forgotten about. But guess what? If you do what God wants you to do, you are going to live. And then he tells us the reason. Verse 28. Because for the Lord loves justice. He doesn't want vengeance. He loves justice. 
And he does not forsake his saints. So you look at these people and it looks like they're prospering and you say, oh, how about me? The Lord's forgotten about me. No, he doesn't forsake you. And when someone does evil to you, he doesn't forsake you. He loves justice and justice will be done. Look what he says in verse 28. They are preserved forever so you will live. That's what verse 27 says. Dwell forever. Verse 28. They are preserved forever. But the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. Not might be, shall be cut off. The righteous, verse 29, shall inherit the earth and dwell in it forever. So, you want to know the end game? Here's the end game of all of it. The end game for evil people and wicked people who seem to be prospering now. And the end game for righteous people who may not be prospering now. The end game is the evil people will die and they'll lose everything. And the end game for the righteous people is we inherit the earth. And we live forever. That's what Jesus talks about. The kingdom of God is going to come on earth and you're going to live forever. How about they kill me? He'll raise you from the dead and you'll live forever. So we inherit the earth. That justice will be done. That's what he's basically saying here, is that justice will be done. Now look at verse 30. Verse 30. And God's going to do that. The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom. Now we're going to call this an axiom or a truism. If you want to know what a righteous person's like, you look at them and watch what they say. Do they sound like stupid idiots? It just came off the turnip, turnip farm? Is that what they sound like when they talk? Look what it says verse 30. The mouth of the righteous speaks what? Wisdom. And his tongue talks of vengeance. No, talks of justice. Look at this. The law of God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. So this simply means that this is what a righteous person looks like. A righteous person walks the way the Lord wants them to walk. A righteous person does what the Lord wants them to do. The righteous person speaks God's word, speaks wisdom, and knows the rules, follows the rules. This is what a righteous person is like. Now, notice, a person can say, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, and try to get even with people, return evil for evil. Guess what? That's not a righteous person, no matter what they say. This is what a righteous person looks like in verse 30 and 31. By contrast, look at verse 32. But the wicked, what does he do? Watches the righteous. Keeps his eye on him. Seeks to slay him. Just waits for an opportunity to trap him and get him and fire him and throw him in jail and kill him. But look what verse 33 says. The Lord will not leave him in his hand. We're not going to forsake you and let you end up in the hand of an evil person, nor condemn him when he's judged. So Jesus said that many people will just throw you in the into jail. They'll haul you into court and throw you in the jail, and they'll say, "Guilty." We're not going to let that be your final end. In the end, there's going to be justice. They're going to say guilty, and guess what God's going to say? Not guilty. They're going to say, death penalty. You're dead. God's going to say, resurrection. You're alive. 
You inherit the earth. They're cut off from the earth. See, that's the end game. This is justice here. Does that make sense? God will vindicate you. He will overrule what the evil people do. Okay, now we come to verse 34, and we come to the eighth precept, the eighth rule. Here's what it says. Wait on the Lord and keep His way, and He shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. Now notice the precept at the beginning of verse 34. Wait on the Lord. Now here's why I said we have you know, seven or eight precepts, nine precepts. We're not really sure how many there are because some of these precepts are repeated. Look, verse 34. Wait on the Lord. Look back at verse 7. Rest in the Lord and what? Wait. You see that? Look at verse 9. Evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the earth. Now look at verse 34. Wait on the Lord and keep His way, and He shall exalt you to inherit the earth, the land. That's the fifth time He said that we're going to inherit the land. The third time He tells us to wait. If we wait, we are going to be exalted, raised up to inherit the land. And the wicked, it says at the end of 34, are going to be cut off. And guess what? You're going to see it. Right now you're looking at them and it looks like they're prospering. And you say, that's not fair. Just wait. And you'll see justice done and you'll see how the Lord handles things. And at the end, they'll be cut off and guess what? You're going to see it and say, boy, glad I followed those rules. Glad I followed those instructions. This is what the Lord wants. See? Now, look what David says in verse 35. This is his own testimony from years of experience. He says, I have seen the wicked in great power. Look at that. I've seen them rise up to positions of presidents of major corporations, we'd say today, and uh, leaders of nations, great power. And spreading himself like a native green tree. It just seems like his holdings kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and his influence kept getting wider and wider and wider. Great power spreading like a native tree. Yet... Look at verse 20, 36. Yet, he did what? Passed away, and behold, was no more. Indeed, I sought him, but he couldn't be found. Remember this guy was tremendous, had tremendous power, and one day I went and hung for him, he wasn't around anymore, he's dead. And that's David's testimony, and that's our testimony too, when you think about it. Just think of the people that you've heard of. Let's just think on, like on the world scene, that great power. Think of Stalin. Think of Hitler. Think of Mussolini. Think of bin Laden. Think of <laughs> Saddam. Uh, think of Gaddafi. Let's get it really right up to the last week. People of great power. And guess what? You look around, where are they? They're there no more. What happened to their power? In one minute, what happened to the power? In one split second, what happened to the power? Absolutely gone. And this is David's testimony. He said, let me tell you, I've seen this in my own life. I don't even have to wait to the resurrection. I don't have to wait to the end judgment. They're just coming and they're going. One minute they have power, but one minute they don't have power. Bernie Madoff. 
You know, you can just, doesn't matter, you just go to each area of society, whether it's finance, whether it's politics, people have power here one day, gone tomorrow, and that is the end of it. And guess what? If they found their satisfaction in things, then they have nothing left. I often uh, ask students, uh, in the old days when I was ministering to students in evangelism, I'd get a group of students around and i ask them, what's the most important thing in your life? I want you to put down the three most important things in your life. And they'd put down, you know, my car, girlfriend, or whatever. And then you would say, okay, if what you put down, just look at your list, they didn't show it to anybody else, if what you put down on your list can be taken away, if that's what you find you're satisfied, if that's the most important thing in your life and that's what satisfies you the most, if it can be taken away, then you're in real trouble, aren't you? And that's what happens. These people have this power and they, they're grasping the power and suddenly it's taken away and they're cut off. Now we look at this last precept and it's found in verse 37. Here's what the believer is to do. Mark the blameless man. Now there's a wicked person. Just spot him. Just in your mind, make a mental check. Mark the blameless man, or the, the Christian man, excuse me. Uh, I said the bad guy, it's the good guy. Mark the blameless man, the good person. Mark who are the good people. Put a check in your mind. And observe the upright. That's what we're to do. Mark the blameless man and observe the upright. Here's what we're to do. Now, notice what they were doing versus what they are to do. What they were doing is they were observing the bad people. And when they saw what the bad people had, they fretted. Guess what you're to do? Focus your attention on good people. Don't focus on the negative. Focus on the positive. All the great thinkers of the world, when they get down to it, they say, you know something, if you want to be happy, focus on the positive. Hang around people that are positive influences, not negative influences. So instead of dwelling on the negative and looking at these people and saying it's not fair, we should focus on the positive people. So that's what he says in verse 37. Now look what he says at the end of verse 37. For the future of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. How many times do you think David has repeated that sentiment that the unrighteous person will be cut off? You have any idea? Well, last night I went over, yesterday morning I went over, and I looked and I saw it in verse 2. Look what it says. They shall be cut down like the grass. Cut down. Look at verse 9. The evildoers shall be cut off. Look at verse 10. And yet in a little while the wicked shall be no more. Look at verse 13. The Lord laughs at him and sees that his day is coming. Look at verse 17. The arms of the wicked shall be broken. Look at verse 20. But the wicked shall perish. Look at verse 22. At the end of verse 22. But those cursed by him shall be cut off. Look at verse 
28. It's the end of verse 28. But the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. Look at verse, end of verse 34. When the wicked are cut off. And now look at verse 38. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together, and the future of the wicked shall be cut off. How many times do you think that is? About a dozen times. And if you look in the context of the verse, sometimes it's said two or three times in that verse. So I would say, if I could summarize this thing from a negative standpoint, or from just the standpoint of justice, is that the wicked are going to be cut off. Would everybody agree with that? Why would you envy somebody like that? By contrast, look at verse 39. But the deliverance or the salvation of the righteous is from the law. Lord, the wicked are going to be cut off by the Lord, but guess what he's going to do for you? He's going to deliver you. That's what salvation means. It means deliverance. He is their strength in time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them. See, that's the righteous person. When we can't help ourselves, he'll help us. He will deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked. He shall save them, deliver them. Watch this. Because they've taken matters in their own hands. Because they fretted. No, it's because they trust in Him. So here we see that David says we are to trust the Lord. And, you know, this thing starts with trust, doesn't it? Verse 3, it says, trust the Lord and do good. And look how it ends. In verse 40, it says, because they trust Him. So this is David's philosophy of how to traverse this world of dangers, toils, and sorrows. As John Newton said in Amazing Grace, when we face this world full of its dangers, and its toils, and its sorrows, and it looks like the unrighteous are succeeding, and the righteous are falling back, this is how we are to live. So let me summarize this for you. Let me just give you a few little principles that I've gleaned from the text. Okay? Number one, keep your eyes on the right thing. Do you all agree that that's a very important lesson here? Hang around with the right people. Focus on the positive. Number two, do what you're called to do. See, God's called to take care of them. You just do what you're called to do. What are you called to do? Do what? Good. How would you define that? Showing mercy <laughs> to the helpless, to those who can't help themselves. Giving, being charitable, see? Living according to God's rules. Number three, don't compare what you have with what the ungodly have. That's very short sighted. Look at things in the big perspective. Okay? One day they'll have nothing and you're going to inherit the earth. See the big picture. Okay? Number four, don't adopt their means to get wealthy. Don't adopt their means to get wealthy. Find your satisfaction in the Lord. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He'll take care of every one of your needs. You say, well, they put me in prison. You getting three meals a day? You have a place to lay your head? Maybe that's what he wants for you right now. Maybe he has you there for a reason. Do prisons need the gospel? Did Joseph influence people in prison? Some of the greatest statements and letters that have ever been written 
and statements have ever been made have been made from prison. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote his letters from prison. Martin Luther King wrote his letters from the Birmingham jail. Jesus was arrested and some of his greatest statements are spoken to Pontius Pilate and the priest in prison. Statements that if I started quoting the first two or three verses, words of the verse, you could finish them off. Words from prison. Don't worry about that. Don't adopt the world's means to get wealthy. He'll take care of you. And don't say it's not fair. And finally, you know what you need to do? Just trust God. And like it says at least three or four or five, five times, trust God and wait. But then handle the situation. The evil people will get what's coming to them and the righteous people will get what's coming to them. This is David's life philosophy that he has summed up and put down here in Psalm 37. Principles that he's gleaned over a lifetime and wisdom that he's gleaned over a lifetime that we can learn now. And I look at Katie and Alex and, and the people who are younger in this class. Guess what? You don't have to wait until you're 80 to learn these lessons. You can learn them and apply them today and miss out on a lot of life misery and find your satisfaction in the Lord. Amen? We'll pick up it. Psalm 38 next week. Lord, we thank you for your word. Help us to apply this word to our lives. Help us to find our peace and our satisfaction in you. Oh Lord, help us to be the kind of people described here. Help us to hang with the right people and do the right things and leave everything else to you. In Christ's name we pray.